You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. So now so remember, in chapter 12, the Apostle Paul had been talking about spiritual gifts, and then in chapter 14, he continues to talk about spiritual gifts, but then all of a sudden, in, in, in chapter 13, it's almost like he, he takes a detour, like, like he goes on a tangent and starts talking about love. So now you know the Corinthians, as, as they're reading this for the first time, they're probably finding themselves asking the same question that, that Tina Turner, you know, the queen of rock and roll, that, that she probably asked herself back in 1984 when she said, what's love got to do with it? In fact, that's the title of our message. What's love got to do with it? The answer is everything. Love has everything to do with it. Now listen, uh, the, the Corinthian church could have been called a, a, a lot of things, but, but being called a loving church wasn't one of them. I mean, listen, they, th- this, this was a gifted church. This was a very active church, even a wealthy church. But in many ways, they were a loveless church. And that's why Paul is writing this chapter. So now as we, as we look at verse 1 again, verses 1 through 3, we're looking at what's been often been called the love chapter. Verse 1 again, Paul says, If I speak in the tongue of, of men and angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or, or a clanging cymbal. If, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and I have not love, or if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. So now again, this chapter has been called the love chapter, as I said before. In fact, G. Campbell Morgan once said that, that examining this chapter is like dissecting a flower. Alan Redpath had said, you could get a spiritual suntan from the warmth of this chapter. And, and, and in fact, this is a chapter that, that everyone, even non-Christians, are familiar with. I mean, we hear it quoted at weddings. We see it on, 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 on cards. In fact, even on Valentine's Day cards. Uh, by the way, gentlemen, Valentine's Day, it's like two days away. Just a little hint, just a little, you know, you've got two shopping days left. This is why you come to church. Right now, somebody's thinking, Pastor, that message was just for me. It's like you're talking like I'm the only one in the room. And so, uh, you know, even on Valentine's Day, this, this, is, this is the love chapter. But now the problem is, is that a lot of times when we read the so-called love chapter, we tend to forget who the Apostle Paul was actually talking to. He was talking to the church of Corinth, right? The Corinthian church. But listen, as we've seen throughout our study, the Corinthian church was the problem church. Everybody's got that problem child? Well, they were his. These were his problem children. I mean, we've seen in this study that, that this was a church that was filled with division. You know, I mean, I mean, they had sort of had this, this cult of personality thing going on, right? Where, where, where one group would say, I'm of Paul, and another group said, I'm of Apollos. Somebody said, you know, I, I'm of Peter. And so it's like they were divided into their little camps based on who their favorite preacher was. And so some are saying, well, you know, I just love the way the Apostle Paul preaches. I just love his preaching. But others are saying, you know, not, not me, not so much. I mean, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Paul's kind of boring. The Apostle Paul, you know, he, he's, he, he's, he's not entertaining enough, but this Apollos guy, I mean, he's so dynamic, I could listen to him read the, the Apple user license agreement. And, and, and so this was a church that fought over everything. In fact, a few chapters ago, we saw that they even fought over communion. Over communion. You know, there were some who said, you know, we, we, we like the way the Apostle Paul leads communion. Others were saying, we like the way Peter leads communion. And then along with uh, communion, then they, then they also developed something called an agape feast. 
Now, agape is a Greek word that means love. So this is a love feast. Now, the, the whole basis of this so-called love feast was that they were using it as an opportunity to demonstrate God's love to the world. And so they would do that by inviting the poor and the needy to this feast, and they would feed the poor and the needy. And then after the meal was over, they would close the meal by taking communion. But now the, the, the problem was that, if first of all, they would gather for communion and they would divide up in their little cliques. The clique of the Apostle Paul over here. The clique of the Apostle Peter over here. The clique of Apollos over there. And then not only were in their little, their little cliques, but then instead of feeding the poor, instead they were gorging themselves. They were stuffing their own faces and, and making the poor watch them eat. And then on top of that, if that wasn't bad enough, then they were getting drunk on the communion wine during the communion service. Then, on top of all that, back in chapter 4, we saw that Paul rebukes the Corinthians for being, quote-unquote, puffed up. In fact, that's the key phrase in chapter 4. Paul uses that phrase, puffed up, a number of different times. He tells them in chapter 4 that, that they were puffed up against each other. He tells them that they were puffed up in, in, in their speech. And they were puffed up. They, they had an overinflated view of their spirituality, of how, how, how gifted they were spiritually. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 7, it, it seems that they were boasting about, about their spiritual gifts as if to say that no one was more spiritual than they were, no one was more gifted than they were. And it's true. Remember, back in chapter 1, verse 7, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, he said, you do not lack any spiritual gift. This was a very gifted church. And this was a church that, that took pride in how spiritual they were, and, and yet for, for all their spirituality, they were taking advantage of the poor and getting drunk during communion. And so sure, they spoke in tongues, but they also slandered and gossiped. Oh sure, they, they were giving people words of wisdom and words of knowledge, but they were also suing each other and attacking one another. Oh yeah, they had signs and wonders in that church, but they also boasted about how tolerant they were of, of blatant outright sin when there was a young man in their church sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmother. And they were bragging about it, boasting about it. And so the Apostle Paul's message to this church in, 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 in the opening first three verses is he's saying, you know what? If, if you speak in tongues of men and angels, but you don't have love, well, then you're nothing but a noisy gong and a, and a clanging cymbal. He says, you know what? If, 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 if you have the faith that you can move mountains, but you, you do not have love, you have nothing. If you die a martyr's death, you die for your faith, and yet you're never known for your love, then you are nothing. After all, Jesus never actually said, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you speak in tongues, if you prophesy, if you heal, if you perform miracles. Those are things Jesus never said. What he did say is in John chapter 13, verse 35, Jesus said, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. And so what's love got to do with it? Everything. When, when it comes to being known as a follower of Jesus Christ, when it comes to the world knowing that you have been changed by Jesus Christ, love has everything to do with it. That's why when you go online to our website, look at our statement of faith, you're going to see that in our statement of faith, when we talk about spiritual gifts, 
We believe in the spiritual gifts, but then we have this line that says, we also believe that love is more important than all the spiritual gifts because without love, then all exercise of spiritual gifts is worthless. Because that's what Paul says. He says, without love, I am nothing. Now on that note, as we pick it up in verse 4, now Paul defines love. He gives us the definition. What is love? Well, we find out in verse 4, Paul says, love is patient and kind. Now pause there. Why are we pausing there? Because that's as far as the definition goes. In, in, in that little opening line, he gives us the definition of love. Then the rest of verse 4, all the way up to verse 6, he tells us what love is not. But first of all, he tells us the definition of love. He says, he says love is patient and kind. Love is patient and kind, he says. Listen, you know, when we talk about love, you know, we, we use love, the word love, in a lot of different ways, right? I mean, we love everything. Love you, man. Love you, bro. We love everything, right? I mean, listen, I love my wife. I, I, I love my kids. I love my son and my daughter. Uh, and, and I love my daughter-in-law. But you know what? I also love my dog, and I love Starbucks. But check it out. I better not love Starbucks or love my dog as much as I love my wife, or I'm going to be in the dog house. Am I right? First service, my wife said, amen. And then your wives looked at you and said, amen. Just remember that. Valentine's Day is just a couple days away. Stay out of the doghouse. And, and so in, in many ways, the, the ancient Greek language is superior to our modern English language because the ancient Greek language, they had, they had four different uh, words that would express each expression of love. For example, they, they've got the, the Greek word phileo. Phileo, it speaks of brotherly love. In fact, we use that word today when we talk about the city of Philadelphia. Anybody ever hear of it? I think they might be playing a game a little later today. Philadelphia, it's the city of brotherly love. But if you live there, it's a city of brotherly shove. But anyway, it's, you know, but this is, this is what the word phileo means. It speaks of brotherly love. And not just loving your, your actual brother, but it means loving your, your close friends, you know, like, like your bros. And so loving your brother or loving your close friends. But then there's the Greek word uh, storge, which speaks of family love. So there's brotherly love, but then there's that love that's reserved for your close family, your intimate family. And then there's the Greek word eros. Eros speaks of romantic love. Now here's the problem. The problem is, a lot of times when we talk about love, most guys only think that there's one kind of love. If you know what I mean. Romantic love. You know, kind of like the little boy I told you about before that got lost in Walmart, and so one of the clerks is trying to help him find his mom. He says, well, well what's your mommy's name? He looks up and says, mommy. He says, okay, well, uh, what, what's your daddy's name? He says, Daddy? He says, okay, uh, what is your daddy? Call your mommy. Little boy smiled, got a big deep voice, and he said, hey, baby. <laughs> so gentlemen, even though Valentine's is right around the corner, I just want to help you understand there's more than one form of love. Yeah, there's, there's eros, there's romantic love, but there's also brotherly love, and there's family love, and then there's the Greek word agape. Now, agape speaks of sacrificial love. It, it speaks of, of perfect love. It was considered the highest form of love. And really, in many ways, it was considered the love of God. And what agape love is, it, it, it's love with, with no strings attached. 
Love with no strings attached. It's, it's loving someone no matter what, even if they've hurt you, even if they've betrayed you, you still love them. It's sacrificial love. Now, you know, sometimes we, we refer to love as a gift, right? In fact, there's even a book titled The Gift of Love. But we know that biblically in the Bible, we know that the love is not a gift. Love is a fruit. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It says, the, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, what's interesting about that passage in Galatians 5.22 is, is, is that the, the word fruit is in the singular, not the plural. In other words, it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. And, and, and in fact, in many ways, many uh, translators believe that there should have been a semicolon there. When it would say, the fruit of the Spirit is love, semicolon, then joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self, and self-control. As if to say that the fruit of the Spirit, singular, is love. The rest of the words are now describing what that sacrificial love looks like, what that agape love looks like, what that, what that perfect love of God looks like, that the perfect love of God looks like joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It was, it, it's a definition of agape love. Now, what's interesting is that when we look at the list of love here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, and the list of love in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we find two terms are, are exactly the same. And those two terms in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, are patience and kindness. He says, love is patient and love is kind. Now, the word patience, the Greek term makrothumia, it, it's a term that, that, that speaks of tolerance. It speaks of, 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 of endurance, enduring injury, and enduring attack, personal attack. It, it's, it's the willingness to, to accept difficult situations, but, but even more, it's the willingness to deal with difficult people. Do you have any of those in your lives? Yeah, me neither. Um, but, you know, it's, it's that person who's, who's standing on your last nerve. Ever say that? You are standing on my last nerve. And yet it's the ability that, 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 that you, you endure that person. You're patient with that person. And when you're patient with that kind of person, you are demonstrating perfect love. The love of God. Sacrificial love. Agape love. And so he says, love is patient. And then he says, love is kind. And by the way, love is patient. Go back to that. That, 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 that ability, you know, you're, you're dealing with somebody and you don't even med need medication to deal with them. You know, kind of like Foghorn Leghorn, you know, when he said, boy, I said, boy, you're, you're about to exceed the limitations of my medication. <laughs> well, sacrificial love can love a person without the help of medication, is what we're saying. And he says, love is kind. Christeomai uh, is, is the term here. And, and what does it mean? Well, now wait for it. It means to be kind. <laughs> Changed your life, didn't it? Uh, it, it but, but this word not only means to be kind or kindness, it also means to be considerate. To be considerate. Now, why would the Apostle Paul, as he's talking to the Corinthians, take all the trouble to highlight uh, kindness and consideration 
as he's talking to the Corinthians? Well, because listen, if you ever ate with the Corinthians during the, the, the agape feast, then you would know that they, they might need a tutorial in consideration and how to put others ahead of themselves. You know, as, as they're watching, you know, as they're making the poor people watch them eat. Yeah, they might need a little help and tutorial on consideration. It says, love is patient. And he says, love is kind. And so what kind of, what kind of church was the Corinthian church? Well, the Corinthian church was the kind of church that, that, that valued speaking in tongues more than they valued people. They were the kind of church that, 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 that was quick to, to protest when they felt like, like their rights and their freedoms had been violated, but they were not so quick to consider the rights and the freedoms of their weaker brother in Christ or their weaker sister in Christ. And so, yeah, this might have been a gifted church, but no one ever accused them of being a loving church. And so although the Corinthians, you know, they, they were flowing in the gifts of the Spirit. I mean, all the gifts were in operation. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, tongues and prophecy. I mean, you name it. Again, chapter 1, Paul said they were not lacking any spiritual gift, but what they were lacking was love. And so the point that Paul's driving home is simply this. He's saying, you know what? Being a gifted church is completely useless if you're a loveless church. Being a gifted church is completely useless if you are a loveless church. So he defines what love is, and now in the rest of verse 4 all the way through verse 6, now he defines what love is not. And so in verse 4, after he says love is patient and kind, he then says love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So we have this list. He tells them what love is, and then he says love does not envy or boast. The Corinthians are like, hmm, that might not be a good thing. And then he goes on, he says, it is not arrogant. Now the word arrogant, it's the Greek word fusio. It literally means to puff up, to blow up, to, to inflate, to have an overinflated view of yourself. I pointed out a second ago that in chapter 4, Paul devoted almost the entire chapter to tell them they were puffed up that the Corinthians had an overinflated view of themselves. And yet Paul says that, that, that love is not arrogant. It is not puffed up. And then in verse 5 he says, or rude. Now the word rude here speaks of, of shameful and disgraceful behavior. You know the kind of behavior that you'd see when you're taking advantage of the poor during the communion service? Yeah, that might be called rude. It says, love, love does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. He says, it does not insist on its own way. The Corinthians certainly did. It says, it is not irritable. Now, the word irritable, uh, the Living Bible uses the word touchy instead. The NIV uses the phrase, is not easily angered. But the Greek term here is a phrase that, that means it takes longer for you to get to your boiling point. You have a long fuse. You're not easily angered. You're not easily triggered. It says, he says, love, it, it, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it does not insist on its own way, it, it's not irritable or resentful. The word resentful speaks of, of keeping a record of evil, keeping a record of wrong that was done to you. In other words, you're not the kind of person that holds a grudge. It happens and you let it go. You and Elsa, you let it go. 
He says, love does not envy, it does not boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. This phrase, rejoice at wrongdoing, it's implying that when your enemy, the person that hurt you, now has, has a wrongdoing done to them. Do you rejoice in that? When, when, when the guy that hurt you, now they get it, and it's their turn. Are you the kind of person that says, you know what, it couldn't happen to a nicer guy. Listen to this, Proverbs 24, 17 and 18 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it, and, and it displeases him, and he turn away his wrath from him. And so Paul's telling them all these things that love does not do. It doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant, it's not rude, it, it, it doesn't insist on its own way, it, it's not irritable or resentful, it, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. He, 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 he lists all these things. And in effect, here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you know what? Everything that the Corinthians were, love is not. So he opens up and says, love is patient. The Corinthians weren't patient. He says, love is kind. Love is courteous. Love, love is considerate. <laughs> the Corinthians were not. And then he opens up all this list of what love does not do. And they're like, we do all those things. Everything the Corinthians were, Love is not. They were a loveless church. And now finally, verse 7, we answer the question, what does love got to do with it? Pay attention, Tina. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You know, we often say that, that love is a verb, right? It's action. Love is a verb. So what does love do? Well, Paul says here in verse 7, love does four things. Number one, love bears all things. The NIV renders it this way. It says, it always protects. Now, in the original language, the, the root word that's used here means to cover or to conceal. Love covers. Love conceals. Here's the idea. The idea is, is that you know, maybe you've got an enemy in your life. Maybe there's somebody in your life who, who has it out for you. There's somebody in your life who, who you know, they, they've ruined your, repu your reputation. It's, it's like they are determined to make your life a living hell. Maybe you work with them. Maybe they live in the neighborhood. neighborhood. Maybe they run your HOA. But someone who's just determined to make your life a living hell, and then all of a sudden, one day, you find out a secret about them. You learn something about them. You learn something that, that could destroy them. You know, maybe, maybe you discover that they're having marriage problems. Maybe there's been an affair, or, or maybe, maybe they're having financial problems, or maybe they're, 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 they're having legal problems. But you discover something about them that if it got out, it could absolutely crush them, just like they've been crushing you. But you see, love doesn't scatter that news all over town. What does love do? It conceals it. It covers it up. Just as it says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it says, Above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Love bears all things. It covers all things. That's number one. What else does love do? Paul says love believes all things. Now, this doesn't mean that you're gullible. Doesn't mean, mean that you believe everything that you hear. Doesn't mean you believe everything you saw on Facebook or, or that you see on CNN or on Fox because we know that Facebook, CNN, and Fox, it's all fake news. It's, a, it's not saying that you're believing everything you hear. Rather, the word, when it says that you believe all things, it's the Greek term pisteo. 
And it, and it means really to, to commit yourself to. It means to, to put your trust into. In, in other words, it's the idea that, that you are making an active choice where you're choosing to believe in someone despite whatever's going on. You're making an active choice to believe in them, you, you, to stay committed to them no matter what. In other words, you're not the kind of person who says, you know what, you hurt me. You, you violated my trust, and I don't think I can ever trust you again. In fact, I don't want to ever trust you again. Instead, you're the kind of person that says, you know what, yeah, you hurt me, and, and, and there's a good chance you're going to do it again, but you know what, I'm committed to this relationship. I'm committed to you, and because I love you, I believe in this, and I'm going to fight for it. I'm gonna, we're going to get counseling. We're going we're gonna to do whatever. We're going to talk to whoever we've got to do. We're going to get classes. We're gonna, we're gonna, whatever it takes, I believe in it, and we're going to make it work. That's what it means to, 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 to believe all things. So he says, love bears all things. It believes all things. Number three, love hopes all things. By the way, I almost did it again. I, I said number three, and this finger wanted to come up. Number three, love hopes in all things. Another word, hope there, literally means a confident hope. A confident hope. It can be translated uh, to look forward to something. In other words, it's, it's the idea that, that no matter how bad things are in your life right now, you just know they're going to work out. And it's not like some naive kind of a wish Brother, you just know you have a confident hope. You know that the same God who got you out of the last hopeless situation is the same God that's going to get you out of this hopeless moment. You've been there before, and, and, and he did it before, and he'll do it again. It's like my favorite Charles Spurgeon quote. I've said it a hundred times before, but Spurgeon said, it's not to be imagined that he who helped you in six trials would leave you in the seventh. That's confident hope. That's what it looks like to hope in all things. So love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes in all things. And then fourth and finally, love endures all things. The Greek term, hupemeno, it means to, to take it patiently. To take it patiently, not personally. Hey, listen, there, there, there are basically two kinds of people in this world. There are those who, who are easily offended, and there are those who easily forgive. Which one are you? You know, maybe something happened. So something happened, and, and let me ask you, do, do you take it as a, as a moment to be personally offended, or do you take it as a moment to personally forgive, to, to be personally patient in that moment? And so love, it, it, it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. You take it patiently. So now what kind of church was the Corinthian church? Well, the Corinthian church was a church that, that prided themselves again on, 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 on how spiritual they were. This was a church that was striving and searching for the best spiritual gifts. In fact, the Apostle Paul, towards the end of chapter 12 last week, said, said earnestly desire the best gifts gifts, but then he went on and he added this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 31 and he said, and I will show you a still more excellent way. What's more excellent than the very best spiritual gifts? Well, what's more excellent is love. You see, when it comes to, to truly being spiritual, it's less about how spiritually gifted you are and it's more about how spiritually fruitful you are. When it comes to being known as, as a follower of Jesus Christ, listen, love has everything to do with it. 
You know, look, when, 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 when you forgive your enemy, or when you're patient with the person that betrayed you, hurt you to the core, you know, when, 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 when you can hope in a, in a hopeless situation and you're confident that the Lord will get you through it, when you can endure all things, when, when, when no matter how rough it is, no matter how hard it is, you, you patiently endure what's happening. Believe me, that's when the unbelieving world around you, they'll be more impacted by that kind of love in action than they'll ever be by you speaking in tongues. Listen to the Apostle Paul's words in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 and 20, when Paul said, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather leave place for the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And we hear that last line, it says coals of fire on his head, and we're like, oh, well, that sounds pretty good, tell me more about that. Okay, I will. You see, in those ancient times, keep in mind that, that, that fire was a precious commodity. You know, fire in, in, in the ancient world was, was more than just a source of light. It was a source of life. I mean, you, you needed it to heat your home. You needed it to cook your food. So literally, in that culture, in that point in time, if you did not have fire, if your fire went out, you could die. It was a matter of life or death. And so in that ancient culture, it was considered a critical emergency if your fire burned out, so much so that if your fire burned out, it was acceptable for you to go to your neighbor's house no matter what time of the day or night it was. It could be 2 o'clock in the morning. And if your fire went out, it was socially acceptable to pound on the door and pound on the door until you woke them up and tell them that your fire went out. And then by law, they were required to give you a coal from their fire. And so the act of, of giving your enemy a coal from your fire was an act of neighborly love as you were keeping them alive. But, it says that you, you would heap coals of fire on their head. Keep in mind, in that culture, whenever, whenever they would carry something really heavy, uh, you, they, they would carry it on their head. And so we see these pictures from the, from the ancient Middle East of, of oftentimes women carrying these jugs or sometimes baskets on their head. And so the picture is, is that even though the law requires you to give them one coal from your fire, you know that if you only give them one, there's a good chance by the time they finally get back to their house, that coal would have grown cold. It would have died. And so you give them more than one. In fact, you take a container and you fill it up and it's so heavy, they have no choice but to carry it on their head. And the idea is that you're not just giving the bare minimum, but, but out of love, you're going above and beyond. That's sacrificial love. That's the love of God. That is love in action. Years ago, this happened. I don't know if you remember the news story. It was nationwide. Uh, there was a, a boy named Chris Carrier. And when he was 10 years old, he was kidnapped by a man named David McAllister. Now, McAllister tortured Chris Carrier. I mean, he burned him repeatedly with cigarettes all over his body. He stabbed him multiple times with an ice pick and then finally shot him and left him for dead. But he didn't die. Now, he had, he had uh, you know, he was, he, was, he was wounded everywhere. He lost uh, sight in one of his eyes, but he lived. Now, later on, Chris Carrier became a youth pastor at Grenada Presbyterian Church in Florida. Now, 22 years later, after he was kidnapped, he went and he found David McAllister, the man who kidnapped him. Now, by this point, McAllister was 77 years old. He's an ex-convict. He's frail. He's blind, living in a nursing home in Miami, Florida. So Chris Carrier goes and finds David McAllister. 
And you might be thinking, yeah, he's going to find him. He's going to give him a, a piece of his mind. He's going to tell him something. He's going to get some, some much-deserved revenge, right? Wrong. He finds him, and what does he do? He talks with him. He reads the Bible to him, and he prays for him. And he decides he's going to do this every single week. And so once a week he goes and he talks to him, he prays with him, he reads the Bible with him, and after several months of, of reading the Bible and praying with him, uh, uh, Chris Carrier ends up leading David McAllister, his kidnapper, to faith in Jesus. And in an interview, I think it was either 2020 or Dateline, the reporter asked and said, how can you forgive a monster like that? To which Carrier responded and said, I felt convicted by the Lord of my own hypocrisy, thinking, you know what, how can I teach the teenagers in my youth group about the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of Jesus when I haven't forgiven and loved the man that hurt me? That's love in action. And listen, it's our love in action that grabs the world's attention. It's our love in action that is the very thing that causes the world to look and say, they must be followers of Christ. Look at how they love one another. It's the very thing that caused Jesus to say in John 13, 35, they will know you as my disciples by your love for one another. What does love have to do with it? It's got everything to do with it. Amen? Father, we thank you for your love, that you so loved us, that even while we were sinners, even while we were considered your enemies, you died for us to give us life, to forgive us, to restore us. And Lord, as you have loved us, then we know and we pray that your love in us can extend and we can love others. We can love those that have hurt us, we can love those that have violated us. But Lord, we know that when your love is in action, it grabs the attention of the world. And so Lord, we pray that more of your love and less of us would be flowing. That this world would see less of us, they'd see more of you, and that more people would be drawn to you because your love is in action in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.